Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Joelle. I'm Sarah. Today we are joined by Mike Draper and Claire Anderson of Raygun, newly opened in Andersonville in June of 2019. A ray gun is a science fiction particle beam weapon that fires what is usually destructive energy, but ray gun Andersonville diffuses destructive energy of societal stereotypes with humor and abundance of typography. Stop in and check out their wide selection of t-shirts, home goods, paper products, and more at 5207 North Clark. Welcome. How are you both today? I'm good. How are you? We're great. So we have Claire here in person and Mike calling in from Des Moines. Mike, how are you doing today? I am also good. Excellent. Good all around. Well, we love to start the podcast by you um, each telling us a little bit about yourself and your background, where you're from. um, And Claire, let's start with you. Yeah. So I'm from Des Moines, Iowa originally, which is how I know Mike and Reagan, formerly Smash. Um, I left Des Moines to go to Northwestern and get my art degree, which is all important. Um, and then had been living and working around Andersonville. I moved to Austin, Texas for a a hot second and then was just like, oh, I miss Chicago. This is where I need to be. Um, so yeah, that sort of is where this store happened after that. Mike? Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you. So I grew up just outside of Des Moines, currently still reside in Des Moines. I actually work six blocks from the hospital I was born in. So geographically, I have not come very far in life. (laughs) I spent a little while outside of Iowa. I went to the University of Pennsylvania. I did a year abroad at St. Andrews. So my wife is from London. I like picked her up there and came back, not literally lifted her up and carried her back biking style, but just like met her and then asked if she would be interested in moving to Des Moines while I started a t-shirt company. What and was that answer? Said, yes. I mean, obviously. Like, why did you say yes? And she's like, I always thought Mike would do this t-shirt thing for a while. It would fail, and then we would move somewhere else. But here we are, roughly 15-ish years later, still doing a t-shirt store. From London to Des Moines, I feel like that could be its own <laughs> podcast episode. And Claire, did yeah. you study a certain type of art at Northwestern? It just got weirder as I went along. So my degree is in art theory and practice, um, but then I was in independent bookstores for like seven years after that because as you may have guessed an art theory and practice degree <laughs> only gets you a so what exactly far. <laughs> yeah how what what was the ideal in applying that what would be the the next progressive I mean, job you'd have to ask 18 year old claire <laughs> uh art is just like the thing that i've always loved doing and and been excited about um so I figured a degree from Northwestern would be cool no matter what it was. So I decided to do the thing that I loved. Great. Mike, you started down the path that led to Raygun opening after getting a rejection letter for a fellowship you were planning to use to continue your education in Europe in 2004. How did that rejection letter propel you to selling your first t-shirt? Yeah, so I don't think anybody who starts at the University of Pennsylvania is like, if I play my cards right, one day I'm going to be selling t-shirts on the street. Um, (laughs) Certainly, I didn't think that. My parents definitely did not think that. But there I was my senior year. I kind of thought I would continue studying in Scotland, which was kind of an excuse to live with my then-girlfriend, now wife. And as, I guess, like a born entrepreneur, sometimes you are long on confidence, short on practical planning. And so it never occurred to me that I would get rejected for this extremely competitive fellowship. 
But there I was, like February of my senior year with this rejection letter. And I had, since you didn't need to take your GREs, if you got this fellowship, you were just automatically admitted to whatever program you wanted. So I hadn't taken like my GREs. I hadn't taken LSATs. I had applied for zero jobs. And so it was spring of my senior year. And I'm like, well, I've got the next 55 years of my life free now. I guess 52 years if I take up smoking, <laughs> 11 and a half years if I take up riding a motorcycle without a helmet. But either way, there was going to be some amount of time that I was going to have to fill with like making money. And a friend suggested that we start selling t-shirts on campus. And it was kind of a testament to how little I had going on. But it's like, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to do that. And once I started selling t-shirts, something as crazy as it sounds clicked. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to keep doing this. And so I decided when I graduated, I was going to travel around out east and keep selling t-shirts like on the street and on college campuses. The guy who actually had the idea for us to start selling t-shirts, I was like, do you want to keep doing this with me? Let's like start a company. And he's like, oh God, no, I've got a job in Citibank. So he like left and got like a real career. And I just kept traveling around out east for six months. And then in New York, bumped into a friend of mine from Des Moines and kind of explained what I was doing. And she was like, you know what you should do? you should move back to Des Moines and open a shop on the east side. My dad said that they're renovating all these buildings and you get some advice at like the right place at the right time because I was kind of like, yeah, you know what? I am going to do exactly that. So I left Philly, moved back home, uh, moved into my old room. Luckily, my mom had not taken down my Rage Against the Machine posters. So it was kind of a smooth transition into my old bunk bed and set up a screen printing shop in their basement. Um, They were kind of like, what? what's going on? I'm like, I'm an entrepreneur and um, opened the store that fall. And so I would have met Claire when her like high school had an art show in the original store, I think that fall of 2005 or 2006. Yeah, it was like And for the first two-ish years, it was like just me. I was kind of the only employee of the store. Can you tell us like on that campus in Scotland, were you accessing printing presses or how or like t-shirt screen printing presses? Or how did that all work? Well, I started selling t-shirts when I got back to UPenn in Philly. And back then, um, we just went to a screen printer who was just off campus and like asked that we'd give them designs and they would make the shirts. And a friend of mine from high school um, outside of Des Moines, I remember his dad had a screen printing shop. And so when I moved back, he like taught me how to screen print. So I worked in his dad's shop to learn how to screen print, bought my own equipment and started like practicing at home. So But when I opened the store, I had only been screen printing myself for like six-ish months before then. I had just started using like Photoshop that year. My first day ever using a cash register was the day I opened the store. So I had never like worked at retail before, didn't have any like family in retail, like no connections. I did have a history degree. All you need. That was a joke. (laughs) But the, um, (laughs) like, um laugh line but my I just it's kind of why investors like were not lined up around the door it was like somebody with zero experience who was going to open a store in Des Moines whose wheelhouse was going to be ultra positive slogans about Des Moines I there weren't nobody was like oh this is going to fail but there weren't a lot of people who were like oh that now that is solid gold (laughs) (laughs) most people are like well good luck That was going to be my question for you. Like, had you been exposed to entrepreneurship or small business owners or even retail, like leading up to all of this? Or it sounds like 
history is the answer. So maybe not. But like, where did you kind of gain some like outside inspiration from or momentum even at that point in time from? Yeah, I don't know. I had never, it had never occurred to me to like run a company. I didn't take any business classes at Penn. I didn't even take any classes that required me to use like a calculator. So I would have never used Excel at all for any reason. And I'm Penn not even, like I known can't for even remember business, ever seeing a spreadsheet, right? but my parents aren't entrepreneurs. Like my, they're both professionals, not like professional parents. Parenting is just their side gig, but my dad is an attorney and my mom is a mechanical engineer. My older brother is a mechanical engineer. Both grandparents were mechanical engineers. I'm like six of my uncles are mechanical engineers. I had always been a little bit of an oddball in that I worked at an alternative weekly in high school in Des Moines. I played in a lot of bands in college. I wrote a lot. I made like films. So it was kind of like the onion headline, find what you love and do it on nights and weekends. I had always wanted to do something like creative I just never was like really sure how I would sustain myself doing it I mean money is not like the most important thing but it sure does come in handy sometimes um by sometimes I mean every single day and so the t-shirt thing was just kind of the thing that clicked was it was something creative that I thought you could actually make a living doing and then everything else like all the business stuff from like bookkeeping to accounting to permits the stores, everything else was kind of like the means to the end of that's like the cost of running this is having to learn all of that stuff. So once you jump in, it's like a crash course. It's like trying to learn a language by moving to the country. Like if you're learning a language in a class, not knowing bathroom is, you know, it's not the end of the world. You might not do well on the tests, but if you like are thrown into that country and culture, not knowing bathroom can get pretty embarrassing unless peeing your pants is really cool in whatever country you are in. Well, that's a great segue to no. There's no good segue. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, how can you keep talking about? Uh, well, Claire, let's jump to you for a second. When did you join Raygun, and can you talk to us about your role in opening Chicago's first location, which is in Andersonville? Um, we know that you have connections, having worked at Women and Children First. But um, what brought you to Andersonville, and how did you join Reagan? Yeah, so I mean, he was just talking about jumping in. That's kind of what happened. Um, so I had been working in independent bookstores for seven years, both in Chicago and then Austin, Texas, Book People. And then when I moved back to Chicago, I decided that I didn't necessarily want to open my own bookstore or move to New York and go into publishing. Like I know people that are trying to escape that life. Uh, (laughs) So, but I did know that I wanted to do something creative and collaborative and local and net positive. Like I'm not going to go, I can't go work for some evil corporation as much as, as much as the payout might be there. Um, yeah, so I basically was just like, if I had moved to Des Moines, I would be talking to Mike about what can I do at Raygun. So to his credit, I sent a completely crazy email that was just like, hey, do you remember me from 2007? <laughs> Maybe 2006? Uh, yeah, and I had helped curate this art show back when it was still Smash and it was still like 1,000 square feet maybe. Um, but to Mike's credit, he was just like, uh, yeah, let's talk about it. <laughs> And then we kind of just started rolling from there. So it was like, I was still working at Women and Children and like what a perfect segue into this being the neighborhood that we ended up in um, because they're fabulous. Um, 
And like the like the interesting like the independent bookstore community is is this really interesting collaborative like supportive network that is reminding me of like the neighborhoods and the businesses specifically in Andersonville. Everybody is just so supportive. Um, but yeah, so I scouted neighborhoods and explained Chicago to Iowans and uh, looked got to like go in lots of interesting empty buildings and. Um, yeah, I think that as soon as I, I mean, I messed up. I showed Mike like Andersonville first because I also mm-hmm. live here. Uh, and then the rest of that tour was sort of pointless. He was just like, I already love Andersonville. Like this is, <laughs> this is makes sense. Um, but yeah, I've been involved in every part of this process. Uh, so yeah, I got to tell, tell painters to keep painting it white or like, no, we're going to get rid of, we don't need a kitchen or like who needs these walk-in refrigerators in the basement i sure don't (laughs) um (laughs) and we'll get into a little more backstory about that building in a minute in case everyone's like why are there refrigerators in a retail (laughs) shop but continue yeah i mean yeah that's kind of it so i just like (laughs) yeah and then when so like as we were building out these teams of like buff iowans are coming out to help build everything um all of them are full geniuses uh with like five jobs each and they all just know how to make it up as we go along in this really successful like fun collaborative kind of way um yeah so I was there like shoveling rocks from the basement or also unloading pallets and then building shelves everything that's made by Ikea in our space I personally put that together (laughs) (laughs) even though there's like a million pieces with Ikea furniture all the time oh yeah Um, So a little bit about the building that Reagan is in now. Again, it's 5207 North Clark, and it used to be um, several restaurants, Giordano's most recently, but Ann Sather before that, and I believe Villa Sweden Mm -hmm. back in the day. Um, So all of that um, equipped for a restaurant before you moved in. Um, So, you know, aside from tearing out the restaurant equipment, how what was it like entering that space when you were scouting and realizing that this was a restaurant, but we see it as retail. I know the chamber had two really successful pop-ups over um, fall and winter of 2018 that were both retail focused. So I, I do think it helped everybody see the space a little more Probably. retail friendly. But yeah, I mean, I remember it when it was. So I think that weirdly, those the years that it was Giordano's, I was in Texas. So like, I remember I ate pancakes and lingonberry jam <laughs> in that at space. Yeah, in Sather. So like, I can see it's weird. I can see like the levels of space that it's been like I can see it as Ann Sather's I can smell it as Ann Sather's Mm -hmm. I saw it empty as Giordano's um but no it's a gorgeous building and we're super lucky to have all of it and and like Karin from the museum has been so helpful with like finding these beautiful old pictures and um I don't know why Giordano's wanted to close it's gorgeous and they put a ton of really helpful work into it like it's the cleanest basement I've ever been in (laughs) Um, but no, I think it's just like, we, we sort of just, we decided we wanted to be in Andersonville and this was just like right there by Clark and Foster and this giant, beautiful garage door opens up onto the sidewalk. So you can just like bring all the bugs in. It's, it's gorgeous. <laughs> I love it. But people honestly just walk through that garage door all I the mean, time. Please yeah. continue to walk through it. I walk through it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's talk about the name. How did you decide on the name Raygun and uh, the tagline, the greatest store in the universe, which you can't miss <laughs> um, when you walk yeah, by? So, 
as Claire mentioned, the store used to be called Smash. And then somebody tried to sue us. Like around 2008, I got a letter from a company in California also called Smash. And it, well, it wasn't from the company. It was from their attorney. And they were like, hey, knock it off. And I showed that to our attorney. And he was like, yeah, this doesn't look good. And so it was going to cost a lot more money to fight to keep the name than to switch names. And so we decided to just switch names since we were planning on opening our second store and wanted to keep growing. I wanted a noun, four or six letters, so they could be split evenly across the zipper. Like with Smash, it was three letters on one side and two on the other, and you had to always add something to the end. Otherwise, people would, I guess, fall over. And Raygun was available for a trademark. It, I mean, you made this huge list. I always wish there was a better name for why Raygun, like it was connected to a toy I had as a child or like my kid's first word or, you know, like my dad and I were in a storm on a fishing boat and he like passed me a toy ray gun just before drowning or something like that. It was like my last memory of him, but no, my dad is still alive. We've never actually been on a fishing boat in a storm together. And so, but like a lot of things, it was just a problem that was out of our control and you have to find a solution to it. I love the name of it though, because it's like futuristic, but also from the past. And it's like menacing, but also doesn't exist. So like a squirt gun is literally more dangerous than a ray gun or like a tagging gun could do more damage. But like a ray gun is like nothing, but also something at the same time. So it's like edgy yet comical, like fearsome yet not fearsome. And the greatest store in the universe, I think, has kind of like that irony built into it. A lot of what we have are jokes based around the fact that we are like from Des Moines. It always was like funny to have a neighborhood in Des Moines with a store that declared itself the greatest store in the universe. You would have people like walk in and go, oh, that's funny. <laughs> You're like, we're totally serious. Um, it was like when I first met my wife and I said, oh, I'm from Iowa. And she said, oh, that's hysterical. I'm like, I, I don't get it. <laughs> Is there somebody who's like going around campus telling people like, I'm from Iowa. And everyone's like, oh, you are so funny. Where are you actually from? Portland. Um, and so those are kind of the two reasons of how we came up with like the name and then the slogan, the greatest store in the universe. A lot of it is just thinking of the most ridiculous thing we could think of, um, the most ridiculous way we could describe ourselves. They just off of I-80 in like Walcott, Iowa, if you've ever driven along I-80 east of Iowa City, there's the world's largest truck stop. Mm-hmm. And you're like, kind of like, oh, it doesn't seem like it's the world's largest truck stop, but I've always kind of been... I found funny, like world's largest. So in northern Michigan, the, seriously, the world's largest crucifix and the world's largest shotgun in the same town. And then Kansas has like the world's largest ball of twine. And instead of going for world's largest, we picked universe because around that time they had discovered that there was like possibly like water on Mars at some point. We were like, just if there is life on Mars and they have a t-shirt shop, we should like really get ahead of them in terms of trademark stuff and be like, ah, 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 Mars. Yeah, we're not just the greatest on Earth. We've got like the whole universe locked in. And where did this cat come from? Like the cat shows up a lot in your designs and it's on the blade. It's not really a blade sign, but it's on the little pew, pew, pew sign on the side of the building. Oh, yeah. So the um, cat was like years ago, people had asked for cat stuff, and I can't remember what the initial design was, but like Jen, who's sitting behind me, was the one who designed the cat. And the cat didn't have a name for a while until when we were moving into this space that I'm in now, which our old store is a block away. We had like these big letters 
that were going to spell out Raygun in one of the windows, and somebody rearranged them to spell Gary. And uh, we took a picture of it and just did like a whoopsies, messed up the sign, even though they were easy to arrange. And so Gary became kind of like this inside joke for like the, if we ever started another store, it would be called Gary. So like the conservative ray gun maybe would be Gary. <laughs> and so we decided to name like the cat Gary. And then Gary became like the code name for our wood shop. So here in Des Moines, the wood shop is Gary. <clears throat> and then there's another character, like a spaceman who we refer to as the owner of the company and the spaceman's name is Nitro. And so our storage facility a block away is like codenamed Nitro. And so there's a sign that has Nitro in the address and it says time travel supplies on it. Although it's like this empty warehouse that you can't get into. So I always wonder like how many people are like time travel supplies. <laughs> and we often say that the store includes time travel supplies and people are like, like what? Like t-shirts. They're like, you need t-shirts to time travel. And it's like, no, 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 it's not things required for time travel it's like what are you going to show up topless to the future or past like ridiculous you're going to need clothing and t-shirts work in so many different times right like <laughs> yeah i mean yeah at least past 1890 yeah right <laughs> <laughs> this is always andersonville the podcast i'm laura and i'm joelle this episode is brought to you by Chicago sales coach Paul Baraz of Trainwreck Solutions. His new workshop series, Sales Made Simple, occurs monthly every fourth Thursday from 6 to 7.30 p.m. at 5153 North Clark, room 228. Don't miss the upcoming workshop on September 26. Walk away with at least one new idea to take your business to the next level. Sign up now at trainwrecksolutions.com or email Paul at paulbaraz at gmail.com. Joelle, how do you become a sponsor? Well, Laura, any of our chamber member businesses or a business considering becoming a member can email us directly for sponsorship information at info at andersonville.org. We offer sponsorship for both one episode or four episodes in a row. We are always looking for new sponsors, and we also encourage listener feedback. So if you have a guest you'd like to see on the show, please email us at info at andersonville.org. You can also email us with questions, comments, or general neighborhood inquiries. We look forward to hearing from you. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share Always Andersonville, the podcast on iTunes. So almost all of your products are made or sourced in America and the ones that aren't come from facilities that meet certain working conditions criteria and in countries where garment workers make above average income. Can you share the process of finding these products and companies and share with us your overall ethos and how that plays a role in your product selection? And so I'm going to let either of you take this one. I feel like Mike should take this to begin with, right? Yeah. I mean, the when I first started printing back in 2005, most t-shirts were, I mean, most of the ones that you would get from like Gildan, Fruit of the Loom, Hanes were like a lot boxier and scratchier. And so back then there was this two-year-old company that was printing shirts for, or they were, would make the blank shirts that like a lot of bands like Radiohead used. And it was called American Apparel out of Los Angeles. And so when we first started printing, we used American Apparel, not necessarily for them being made in America, but just because it was like the nicest shirt that you could get. So it was actually like cut to fit, the fabric was better. So we used American Apparel until they went bankrupt, which was like a couple of years ago. And so then they like stopped making t-shirts altogether. So we had to find like new facilities to make our t-shirts in. But over the course of that, 
like time period, we kind of learned a lot about, you know, sourcing, production, sustainability, you know, everything's like a lot more complicated than it seems initially in terms of what is ethically sourced, what's sustainable. And so there's some stuff which is pretty easy, like the glassware and mugs will come from America and then they're screen printed in West Des Moines. The paper is Midwestern sourced and then it's printed in a facility on the north side of Des Moines. We print all of the shirts ourselves. But then in terms of where you get the shirts from, you know, what kind of facility is it? It could be made in America, but how much do the like workers make there? It could be overseas. But and so we have kind of tried to take a like nuanced approach to where we get like the product from. And so any facility that we get our like products from, either we or somebody we've contracted with has like been in the facility um, and seen it and for overseas factories, not to get like too far down the road, but you generally want to a contract with a com- country in general where like uh, garment workers are paid well, and b contract with a factory with a company that owns its own factory. Like a lot of brands get into trouble because they source with one factory. China, Bangladesh are kind of notorious for this, and then that factory turns around and subcontracts to a different factory, and so you'll often have you know, brands that kind of discover that their stuff is made in the sweatshop. And it may not have been that they even contracted with that sweatshop, but it got moved. So overseas production doesn't necessarily have to equal sweatshop. There are great some great factories overseas. You just have to be pretty careful about who you're working with and how they operate. And I guess it's, I you know, part of it has always been we're, we spend so much, you know, money every year, you know, 35% of all of our sales are going to go into the products. So it's the single biggest item we have. And you think, here we are, we're in charge of, you know, $1.5 to $2 million worth of spending power. We should probably make sure that it's like all pointed in the right direction. There's this kind of, a lot of times it always annoys me in politics when they say like, well, I mean, you've got to be an active participant. You've got to be the person to get out there and be knowledgeable. And on the one hand, it's like good to be knowledgeable. On the other hand, you're like, this is a representative democracy. <laughs> it's like, it's not our job to constantly hold people accountable. You elect people with the expectation that they will hold themselves accountable. And it's a little like that with stores. All of the work shouldn't necessarily be on the consumer to research every single thing they're going to buy. There should be an expectation that the company is looking into it. And not everything that every company does is going to be perfect, but it should be at least a work in progress. Like you want them to be cognizant of what the issues are, what the workarounds are, you know, our current like big thing, not to get like, again, too far into the weeds is like, is polyester better than cotton, the paper versus plastic and which, you know, direction you want to go into versus also like what the consumer wants to purchase. Mike, as you talk about like the story and the ethos of Reagan, I feel like you balance or like go between, you know, we really had to figure it out as we went along slash like this super rich and deep knowledge of like your business and the industry and like everything that you're doing. And on your website, you're really open about challenges that the company has faced in the past and throughout different seasons. Um, Can you speak to like just being open about that, how you were able to stay positive and focus throughout those challenges and what you've learned from them? Yeah, it's, I mean, it is tricky because on the one hand, you know, the outward side of the business is just like happy-go-lucky, nothing bothers us, you got to create jokes. On the other hand, you deal with, 
you know, what every business deals with, which is just, you know, general like cash flow issues, HR problems, um, inventory issues. You know, it's like this, I call it like summiting Mount bullshit over and over again. It's just like constant little things. And so you often feel like you're just slogging through mud to get to the next step. And it's, it's like growing the company is a part-time job on top of running the company. And often, you know, I don't know if it's like modern times or it's always been, but people always feel necessary to like project strength or you don't want to seem like you're bothered by things. Whereas I always have been of the mind that, you know, self-deprecation, you know, is not only funny, but makes like the store more accessible. It's not as intimidating. And I take that approach too with explaining people how difficult like the company can be to run and what issues there are. You don't want to make it seem like you've got the answer and nobody else has the, so like discover the one secret. You're like, well, there's no secret. It's like being cool in high school. Um, you just want to make it seem like you're not afraid of anybody else. You're like, oh my God, that guy's not afraid of anything. He must be cool. But really deep down, you know, everybody is afraid of everybody else. It's like everybody is being mean to each other because they're all afraid of everyone. And it's similar to that in adulthood. Like there's some stuff that never changes. You know, nobody is ever going to be like 100% comfortable with where they are. And so you may as well kind of like be honest about it. But I mean, there are, you know, no guarantees in life. Like, sorry if that this is like the first time you've heard that. If you're listening to like the podcast for like stories about Andersonville and you're like, oh my God, there's no guarantees. We will have a support group you can call after this. <laughs> yeah, episode. where there will be a public service announcement for guarantees. discovering that there's no guarantees in life. And so for, for me, it's, you know, a lot of it is chalked up to like hard work, but a lot of it is also circumstance, like how things have gone for me personally in the past, um, you know, who we've met along the way when I started the store, it's, I wish I could hang all of this on like my own foresight and genius, but most of it is just like survival. <laughs> like I am walking blindfolded into a field full of posts, constantly bumping into posts, but no post has yet like rendered me unable to walk. I've just like kept moving around. And when anybody sees you and looks back, they're like, oh my God, how did you navigate that field full of posts? It must be great foresight. You're like, oh, no, I bumped into like half of them. And now my pelvis really hurts. (laughs) Mike, there's a thing that you say, and I'm going to paraphrase. Maybe you can say it better. But what is it? It's like, uh, do your best with the tools that you have. Show up. Don't be a jerk. Something like that. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah. You you don't necessarily always want to think like, oh, I wish we had more people or different things. You just say, all right, these are what we have at our disposal. These are the people these are like, this is the software, this is the press, this is the space. Let's see how much we can do with what we have like at hand. Don't just focus on like what you don't have. Think about, well, who do we have talent-wise and how do you get the most out of the people who are already here, not always looking for like something to replace somebody with. We were speaking with Claire last week and I'm not sure where this will fall in terms of airing, but um, she had mentioned that um, Reagan is hosting a self-defense class at the Andersonville location. So I kind of just wondered, um, it, is things like that in the works? Because those are the tools you have, right? You have this great neighborhood and people who want to learn. Um, how did the idea for kind of events and pop-up events come about in Andersonville? And um, what can we expect from this location in particular in the next coming months? Yeah, for sure. So the self-defense workshop is the first event that we have um, hopefully of many. 
uh, Mike stores, the stores in other parts of the Midwest have done a lots of events. And so it's a lot of things like, uh, like I think Cecile Richards has been to most of the stores. Is that right? Not Chicago yet. Um, but then yeah, like dog adoptions. I mean, so, so part of, I think why that's so political. So many of our shirts is the caucuses, if you're familiar, are in Iowa every four years. Um, so yeah, there's like buttons that we have that say, are you, do you live here or did I interview you four years ago? Um, people in Iowa are really politically savvy in a way that I think a lot of people wouldn't expect because they like are in diners with the Clintons, <laughs> you know, and like remember those things happening. Um, I forgot the rest of your question. <laughs> Just, um, yeah, how some of that same mentality is going to apply to the Andersonville location and yeah. plans that you might have for kind of integrative pop-ups I guess you could say For sure so it's such a beautiful space and we have like a little bit more than we need um and I am hoping and like it's in the works to become sort of like a neighborhood community space that people can just use so like I took this self-defense class in December and did not expect it to be transformative but it was just like the best ever possible thing um and so now I just want everybody to be in a room yelling no if that's possible just like for for like once in their life to just <laughs> to just be able to yell back off to everybody uh it feels really good it's free everyone should come August 1st uh but yeah I'm I'm talking with Sarah and Lynn about doing things for women and children if they just like want to book some extra events and have people come do that on in the store um I'm talking with musicians and artists and improv people all kinds of stuff we just want it to be we want it it's such a collaborative place to work we're all like contributing to these designs um i think that the space can also be that and can you tell us just a little bit about how you do come up with your slogans and your designs i now want to put in a request for today i have summited mount bullshit <laughs> and i don't know if that's i don't know if like Noted. you take requests um but yeah, I mean, obviously, like there probably has to be a, a process by which you also throw some ideas out, I'm guessing. But what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, part of it is there's like the general public. So pretty much anywhere I go, people are like, do you know what would make a great T-shirt? And I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> and they're like, oh, no, I mean, I had an idea for a shirt. And you're like, oh, OK, that's something different. Um, I mean, almost everybody like, you know, waitstaff to I was at like I have four kids, which is too many. But at like one of their births, the doctor was like, you know, you know what I've always wanted to make for a shirt? And you're like, uh, why don't you just like, let's just concentrate on the task at hand. <laughs> and then you can tell me all about what you want to do for a shirt after the child is pulled from my wife. And um, so we don't we don't take a lot of ideas from the general public. Like FYI, just people are thinking about bombarding us, but that doesn't stop them. Most of the ideas all come from like internal collaboration. Like we'll have. Occasionally, we'll do, like, Facebook threads where people can give us, like, ideas for shirts. We did one for, and it's, they're all based on themes, so we've done them at, at like, Chicago suburbs, music festivals. Um, but most of the ideas are done in-house with, like, Slack is the collaborative software that we use to connect all the stores. And so we'll often, you know, kind of thinking about getting the most out of people, it's about how do you you kind of have all these like different, similar to like newspapers, we have all these bureaus in other cities. And so how do you take the people who are there every day and kind of get us information on what this is what's happening? This is kind of what people are talking about. And then it's as the design team, it's our job. Like the design we do isn't particularly difficult. I mean, it's all in one font. 
a lot of it's kind of on a template. So you could design a lot of what we do on Microsoft Word. So we're not really like pushing the boundaries of complex art. And so the designer's job is like an air traffic controller decide what would make a good shirt versus like a tweet. There's a big difference in what people would like um, versus what they'll give you $23 for. So it's, it's taking all of the like possible topics we have and figuring out what is going to go where. Um, and it's just lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff. And yeah, you turned around those um, Chance the Snapper t-shirts pretty quick during all that um, Humboldt <laughs> yeah, Park Yeah, we started stuff. with, one was for Humboldt Park, like the day they caught it. We were like, Humboldt Park, now with fewer alligators. Um, and then Chance the Snapper came around. In that same week, we had um, Iowa Needs Tupac, which was like became a national story of like the possible, like there was a rumor that the Department of Human Services director in Iowa had been fired for his love of Tupac. He would send out like Tupac themed emails and would have Tupac Fridays in his office. And then you add to that um, the like possible raid on Area 51. And you're like, man, some weeks it's just like when it rains, it pours. So we have the Naruto um, 5K fun run walk taking place September 20th in um, Area 51, Nevada. Winner gets a free alien. <laughs> or die trying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, this has been so fun. Thank you. I think maybe one of our funniest episodes ever, and that's a lofty statement, but hopefully oh, everyone man. can listen and maybe judge for themselves. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Let us know I if think we were so. funny or not. Yeah. Please. Um, we like to end with this question for both of you, if you need to take a minute to think about it, but if you had the opportunity, which Andersonville business would you like to trade places with a day and why? Like if I could work at that business? Yes, yeah, you could work there that. or okay. own it or whatever feels natural. I just would love to eat pie all day. I know that that's not what people at first, like people think of people at bookstores just read books all day. Not not so, unfortunately. But yeah, if I could just eat pie at first slice all day, please. Anytime. <laughs> Official pie tester. <laughs> oh, man. What? Gosh. I've never, nobody's ever asked me this. I have thought to myself, like, what would I do if I weren't running Raygun? And then I've, I usually don't think about it very long because then I realize how few skills I have. <laughs> but if I could like run one regardless of how it would be run, I guess I would run La Cologne. I don't know. I've always liked the idea of like working in a coffee shop or running a coffee shop kind of seems romantic to me. Although a coffee shop subleases from us in our Des Moines store. So I know you just kind of like work your ass off. Um, but if I didn't have to like work my ass off and got like, I would run Makalum. Great. Well, thank you, Mike and Claire, for joining us today. And thank you for listening to Always Andersonville, the podcast. For more information about Raygun, please visit raygunsite.com. Show notes on today's episode can be found at andersonville.org. Woohoo! Always Andersonville, the podcast, is produced by the Andersonville Chamber of Commerce. Find episodes streaming weekly on iTunes and Podbean with show notes available at andersonville.org.